Hello, how's it going? Welcome to this week's NCT 20 pod, the Monday podcast. Busy weekend of EFL action to whiz through with me, Ali Maxwell, and him, George Ellick. Hello, mate. How's it going? Hello, mate. Yeah, very good. How are you? I'm I'm well. I've fashioned a, a mic stand for myself. I've been wow. hol- I've been holding the microphone for basically about six months every time we've done a podcast. <laughs> Unbelievably freeing, having both hands. I can really g- gesticulate much more than I could previously. I feel like a weight's been lifted. So hopefully that'll come across in a broadcasting quality. But, and they uh, say that you're bad at DIY. What do they know? <laughs> well, it's sitting in a pen pot right now, sort of wedged so that it doesn't move and. Uh, it's uh, it's on that note that we'll crack on. But before we get into the weekend action, and look, it's it's crunch time now. So we're kind of tightening everything up to here's what you need to know from across all three leagues um, with, what, six, seven games to go. Nine if you're Rotherham, of course. Um, but also we'll start with some admin, George, because I have started the week with some incredible energy thanks to the EFL, which is a bit of a weird thing to say, but they dropped the dates for the for the playoffs. And I mean, I can't remember what it's like in previous seasons. My my memory only goes back about three weeks. But <laughs> there is a week of championship, League One and League Two, semi-final, first and second legs. We're talking the first one, 6 p.m. Monday, the last one, 6.30 p.m. Sunday. All 12 semi-finals in the space of a week. It also means that there is a full week off in between the end of the regular season and the start of the playoffs. And it's just filled me with excitement. I sort of, I instantly thought of the Marilyn Monroe saying, if you can't handle me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best. It's a bit like that with the EFL, isn't it? Because like we love it all year round, don't get me wrong, but maybe December through March, although you you, you sort of get through it, you realise afterwards that it's been a bit of a grind. But if you can't handle the EFL and it's December through March, you do not deserve it at its April and May. I think that's fair to say. I've often thought that you and Marilyn Monroe have some similarities, so I'm glad that you brought it up and I didn't have to. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, I guess it, it is um, not a grind because we love it, but it's it, in those months, not much changes, to be fair. And, you know, it's hard to really read too much. We always warn about buying too much into form narratives during December to March because things can change very quickly. Now we're at the stage where it doesn't matter. You know, things things are getting to the crunch point now. Um, you can throw your spreadsheets in the bin and uh, it's just a case of five or six games to the end of the season and then the playoffs, which we love. So, yeah, I cannot wait. On Saturday, the funeral of Prince Philip means that all the 3pm fixtures have been moved. And just as we're recording, clubs are sort of announcing whether they are playing Friday night or Saturday lunchtime or Saturday evening um you're going to be in at quest uh, on saturday and it's going to be a different weekend isn't it of, of efl action but i mean i'm someone that looks for the positives in everything and i sort of think actually spreading out the games means from basically 6 p.m on friday till 10 p.m on saturday there's likely to be an efl fixture going on i mean it, yeah it's good if you are just an efl fan because you can spread out your viewing but for somebody who's going to have to help draw up the uh, highlights conversations and pick out all what we're going to be talking about and form opinions for myself to, to discuss. I don't, I don't know if having a, a whole host of games at 5.30, about four hours before we go on air, is the best thing. Three and a half hours, to be honest. I mean, you know that often if there's only one of these late games, it's sometimes a bit of a struggle to um, to know what's happened. So, mm. yeah, it sounds like I'm making excuses early for, for a poor performance. Um, but I'm, I'm very excited to be back in at Quest on Saturday. And very excited to be back with you on the sofa at Sky on Friday. Absolutely. Okay, championship, top of it. Pretty straightforward this in, in many ways because of the top seven, 
at the start of the weekend. Six of them won. The only non-winning side was Reading, who lost to Watford on Friday night. They were the only defeat in the top seven. And the upshot was they dropped out of the playoff places to be replaced by Bournemouth, who have won four in a row, beat Cov 4-1. I think we'll start with Swansea and Brentford. Um, we're going to do these in, in batches, in pairs, if you like. Um, Millwall nil, Swansea 3 early on Saturday. Preston nil, Brentford 5. George, I don't think it's unfair to suggest that in the face of a lot of questions about these two sides, a poor few weeks, you have to say, a lot of talk about bottling it, a lot of talk about falling away and not being in great nick for for the playoff campaign. But two statement wins, you have to say, and, and impressive uh, in different ways, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think with Brentford, you could probably could have seen this coming up against a side who, even though have, have, have had a couple of better performances and better results, since parting company with Alex Neil, I think we flagged at the time that it was pretty unlikely that that change of management was going to improve them. Uh, and this was a, you know, reverting back to a very, very poor performance. But for Swansea, I didn't really see this coming. I don't think, uh, especially, you know, anyone who listens to the betting show will know that. Um, Mate, I mean, Millwall... what, even watching it after 15 minutes, I didn't see this final score coming. No, it just kind of goes to show what a goal or a couple of goals can do in order to change the course of a game because Swansea, as you mentioned, didn't come out of the blocks very well at all. I think Millwall were the better side early on. Jake Cooper hit the woodwork uh, at 1-0, uh, which could have changed the game. But it was three moments of real quality um, that won the game for Swansea. And that, I guess, has been the difference quite a lot this season, um, whether it's been Conor Harrahan since he came in on January, whether it's been Ayu or Lowe. For the remainder of the season, uh, even when Swansea don't play at their best and don't really control games, um, they have the individuals to, to do really great stuff. And, and for Jamal Lowe, who hadn't scored in 17 games before this performance, the... You know, it's 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 amusing that we had kind of conversations on social media about his finishing ability early in the season because both of those finishes were just sublime. Um, kind of finding the near post with both pure strikes, so much confidence, especially with the second one in the way that he span and, and had the composure not to kind of snap at it, but also to 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 um to strike the ball home cleanly uh, at that near post. I mean, so his, his season so far is basically drought, unbelievable streak, drought snatches. So yeah. can we expect a good end to the season, I guess? Yeah, I mean, it, it looks that way. Um, but you kind of feel like for this result and performance, even if the performance itself wasn't that great, for the goal-scoring performance, um, you know, this should give Swansea a little bit of belief that they're still good enough to to get promoted this season because I think it would have been fair for them to doubt that. I didn't agree with Steve Cooper at all in this post-match interview where he said, you know, that the performances as of late hadn't been um, great, but they hadn't deserved to lose those games. I, I don't really know what he's been watching because they've been pretty pretty abysmal for for that run of games. But um, certainly that seemed to have changed here. And uh, and as Gary Rowett said, which I thought was very good of him, he said, you know, he's not going to complain about his performance because he doesn't want to take anything away from Swansea. And, and given that they had the better of the game early on, and Swansea fans and Steve Cooper, who's been getting a bit of stick recently, um, yeah, we'll be hoping that this can reignite their season. I mean, obviously promotion automatically now looks, uh, well, I mean, it's gone. Um, but they need to pick up just a bit of form going into the playoffs uh, because the other teams around them uh, are likely to be in pretty good nick, you'd think. Maybe the team for which the first goal of the game is the most important. As we know, mm. just in general in football, I think the number is around 73%, by which I mean the team that scores the first goal across world football tends to win the match from, you know, 73% of the time from that point. So clearly it's huge. 
But for all the doom and gloom surrounding Swans, they, they have always been very good once they've gone ahead. That was the case here. They seem to get stronger and grow in confidences. 21 times they've taken the lead this season. 19 wins, one draw and one defeat. Of course, they hadn't scored, I think, in their previous four games. Ayu and Lowe had two non-penalty goals in their last 15 uh, and scored three uh, in one game. So uh, I, I messaged Jed Wallace about this just to get some perspective from an opposition point of view. And I just said, look, I was watching the game and in 15 minutes or after 15 minutes, I would have been really surprised to, to see the final score as 3-0 Swans. But I mean, he said, just judging it on the two games we've played against them, they've been they've been unbelievable both times in the sense that because they've scored the first goal both in those games, they're so hard to break down. They defend deep very, very well. Um, but they 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 are both good on the counter attack with with Low and Ayu when the game opens up. But they're also you know they are a, a team that can keep the ball, a possession based team. We know that when they're pushing and trying to win a game, that they haven't always been at a particularly high level on that front. But once they go ahead, very very difficult to beat. At Brentford, I think the first ten minutes, I thought Preston had a couple of half chances or a couple of openings. Maybe not surprising because the, the big story of this game for me was. A wild tactical switch from uh, from Thomas Frank that completely paid off. Uh, many one of the knocks on on Brentford recently has been, you know, maybe the word stale always gets used, but the, the fact that they hadn't really deviated from a similar four three three with similar personnel and similar ways of of building up play and attacking teams, and you know, maybe second half of the season when teams have already played one fixture against you, it's a little easier to figure out and and a little easier to stop. And so Thomas Frank's just gone gone wild. Uh, Christian Norgard, defensive midfielder, in the back three, despite a couple of centre-backs being on the bench. So that was um, pretty lively to start with. And Burmo, left wing-back, Ruslev, right wing-back, combining for the first goal. Ruslev crossing from Burmo. Tariq Fosu, Marcus Force and Ivan Tony as this like unbelievably fluid kind of front three. Fosu was unbelievable. What a performance from him. Oh, mate, incredible. And it's so nice, isn't it? He he was the one who, I mean, we, we should know better than to question Brentford signings, I think. This is a good example of it. He was the one who, I, I can't remember exactly what you thought as an Oxford fan when he left Oxford for Brentford, but I think we were we were both of the opinion that Shandon Baptiste was probably the one more likely to break into the first team. And that's not to mm. say he wouldn't have done without injuries. But I wasn't sure if Fosu would have the consistent threat to perform in a high-performing championship side. And I mean... Every time he's played recently, he's looked excellent. So that's absolutely not the case. He was excellent. And yeah, I just, you know, I felt a bit bad for Frankie McAvoy, fun time Frankie, because they would have prepared for the 4-3-3. Brentford would have lined up and, you you, you know, they must have been absolutely bamboozled. 5-0 in the end, it was a brilliant performance. And what, what do you think about, what are your current thoughts on old Fosu? You must be very proud in a way. <laughs> um, of course I am. Um, yeah, I... I thought he was an excellent league one player um and i didn't think he was good enough to play for a team at the top end of the championship um which i think there is definitely a, a gap there i mean you mentioned it shows how good brentford's recruitment is and it definitely does but it also shows how good you know how well they've nurtured him how much they've improved him that there's no way even though he was brilliant for oxford he's changed as a player you know the, the fact that he's played at fullback at times or wingback at times the season is absolutely bonkers if for any Oxford fan who saw him play you know he always put a shift in but defensively he definitely didn't have the, the kind of ability you'd expect for someone playing that role to play um he was also pretty much exclusively a, a, you know a goal scorer at Oxford he wasn't really a creator um he wasn't really a player that you saw put in the kind of deliveries that um that we saw 
assist for these goals. You know, they've they've completely um, you got two assists, didn't he, on the day? I mean, they've they've basically completely changed him as a player, making the most of his talents, uh, which is incredibly impressive. As you say, I'm really happy to see him doing well, um, and hopefully, or well, maybe next season we'll see him in the Premier League. I know the fans would certainly like to see more of him before starting on the weekend. He'd only had well, he'd come off the bench four games in a row for for less than twenty minutes each time. So surely starting in the next game, I hope they stick with this formation because it, it was it was impressive. It was good fun to watch, and it was getting the best out of certain players in that team. Um, I think it's a good, it's an interesting point about maybe um, chatting a little more about Brentford's player development rather than always focusing on recruitment, which is kind of the obvious and easy one. I mean, you you think of what they did to Ollie Watkins from from wide forward to England's third choice number nine mm. possibly possibly climbing that ladder over the next few years it, it's it's pretty incredible he as far as I can remember he never played up front for Exeter he was always that goal scoring wide forward and actually to to change the pathway of a player to in in development terms it's, it's quite an incredible thing not many clubs do that I think it's fair to say um the, the top two are looking very comfortable though you have to say um no blips here I don't think either of them had it easy this weekend uh, George Norwich beat Derby 1-0 Second half, Derby put a lot of pressure on them and had a lot of territory. But looking back, there weren't a ton of chances necessarily. So while I want to make the point that I, I, I was encouraged by Derby's second half performance, and I don't think Norwich have been that uncomfortable that often because they've been so dominant for, for most of their games. But in the end, I think you have to credit Norwich's back four because they, they didn't really give up any space or any obvious chances. So... You know, this was a a business-like win. Certainly not the 7-0 that we saw in midweek, um, winning in different ways. That's what champions do. Definitely. This was a, a totally different Norwich side to the not only the one we've seen this season, but especially the one that we remember from a couple of years ago. Um, these games didn't really happen. They didn't create much. Um, Kieran Dowell's free kick, I think, is one of the best set-piece goals I've seen for a long time. Um, that kind of... Not only was it that distance where you're thinking is it a bit too close to get up and over the wall and down but I've just never seen a goalkeeper so far away from a ball going in from a set piece before in my life um you <laughs> oh, know, the, uh, it was perfect wasn't it I love Marshall it. Marshall doesn't even move and uh, it's basically he's kind of roofs it um yeah amazing hit having nearly scored one just before as well uh Dal winning the free kick too but you know Pookie didn't really get many chances we haven't said that very often uh recently uh Kazim Richards I thought maybe was a bit lucky to get away with um with the handball, uh, it looked to me like he, you know, his the whole natural position idea. I mean, he, he lifted his hands in front of his chest. Um, so I, I think that one was probably one you'd normally see being given more often than not. And maybe if it had been given, then Norwich would have ended up winning this by a decent stretch. But, um, but yeah, but they were very solid defensively. And whilst it's not the result that Derby need, because they are now... In uh, in 20th, having played 41 games, uh, so they're just seven points ahead of Rotherham, who have four games uh, played fewer than them. I still kind of think if they put in that performance regularly, they're probably going to get the points that they need because they were very very solid at stopping a, a decent side from creating chances from open play, and uh, and they they managed to create a little bit themselves too. So maybe not all doom and gloom, but they haven't got long to turn it around. Uh, real excitement from Canaries fans, but also from. Uh, Republic of Ireland fans at the performances of young centre-back Andrew Omabamidele, who's been in the squad for the last three games, played full 90 of the last three. And obviously uh, Norwich have only conceded one goal in that time. And that was a, a late goal 
from Brad Potts against Preston, which actually I think went through on Bamadeli's legs, but um, looks very assured, just 18 years old. Uh, you don't see many 18-year-old centre-backs playing much championship football, so that's exciting. Norwich will, will likely be promoted on Saturday. Uh, I kind of hope that Brentford beat Millwall in the early game, so that or in an earlier fixture, so that they can do it on the pitch against Bournemouth at 8pm. Um, I think that would make it a better spectacle. I think it would make, make it better celebrations for Norwich and their fans as well. So that's what I'm hoping for this Saturday. You'll be talking about it on Quest, of course, on Saturday night. And then Watford beating Reading 2-0. There's sort of two obvious parts to this, one of which is Ismail Assar, but we'll get to him in a second. The other bit is Reading with a better side... And I'm I'm kind of wary of going too far on this, but I, you know I left feeling like Watford hadn't played particularly impressively outside of their star man. Like Reading had played pretty well, but hadn't showed much uh, composure in the final third. Mate, especially inside the box, really snatching at a few chances. But then the old phrase always bangs around in my head, George. It's easy to play. <laughs> it's easy to play when you're two nil down. But that, yeah, you kind of taken my line off me. I was gonna, I was gonna tell, say exactly that. Um, Reading didn't have a shot um, until after the the second goal, and, and I know that's only fourteen minutes, so it's not like it's you know, a shocking performance by any stretch. But I'm just saying, you know, you've got to caveat that with the fact that you know Reading um, created a fair bit with seventy five minutes uh, of football from being two 0 down. Um, you know, when they had to really throw caution to the winds. Um, I thought, uh, a, you know, a, a lovely run from Olise. Uh, nearly got them back into it as well. Um, you know, he looks to be a player who's still maintaining a pretty high level of form despite being, uh, you know, very, very young. You know, having his first full season uh, of first team of football. Uh, Puskas missed a, a really good chance to um, to get them back into it where he hit the post from kind of close range. But this is just all about Ismail Assar. And, and it's kind of the same thing as what I was saying with, with Swansea where... It feels like in the championship, the especially in the last couple of years, because of players like Andre Ayew and Ismail Assar saying staying at their teams after relegation, the kind of gap in technical ability between the best players and the average players in the championship is is basically wider than ever. You know, we've obviously seen this before with with Newcastle sides and, and things like that, and Wolves as well. So it's not a totally new thing, but maybe in terms of just attacking players. You know these guys. It's it's a cliche that I think is often wrong, where you have match winners and match winners are enough to to get you through. But I think when you have got a player like Saar, you know, let's remember that he um, was being linked to Manchester United, for example, in last summer. When you got a guy who probably, in terms of pure talent and ability, um, his natural level is somewhere closer to the Europa League than than, than the Football League. Um, that can make a difference. And just two moments of unbelievable quality. Both goals were just so good. Um, it was kind of like that, the old uh, get you a man that can do both meme. It was the, yeah. the first one cutting in, curling with his left foot. It was more. It was kind of like a, ooh, loveliest mailer. And then the mm. second one, an absolute rocket, exploded off his right foot into the roof of the net. Was a, Jesus Christ, Ismailer, chill out. Um, yeah. Amazing, amazing. Brilliant Friday night fair on, on Sky Sports. I thought the, um, the final segment of that show with uh david pratton and ali maxwell I thought the quality slipped <laughs> i was about to say the same uh, i don't know whether it was the presence of a of a dark tie or whether it was just being on my own but uh I, I missed you i missed you it's amazing how when you're not there and you're just being peppered by pratton 
you don't have time to think about all your clever stats and Anything. stuff in between. Uh, <laughs> that is good fun. Um, Adam Leventhal, who covers Watford for The Athletic, our sponsors, has done a really interesting piece on Saar, I suppose, for, for two reasons. One is the, the newsy aspect of it. Uh, Leventhal's written that Watford are genuinely growing in confidence that they'll be able to convince him to stay for at least one more season if they win promotion, which, of course, would be massive for any survival chances in, in the Premier League. If you subscribe to the idea that Saar... Is there something extra? Is there is there absolute quality and elevates them as a team to a very big extent? Then you know surviving in the Premier League is tough enough. But if you lose your best player, uh, it's always going to be much harder. But he's still got three years on his contract, so they're in quite a strong position there. Um, and also the sort of detail that I love that I'm not sure you get regularly elsewhere, just about the speeds that he's been clocked at this season and how they compare to certain Premier League players, certain. Uh, European stars, um, no surprise, but Sars' top speed mm. is uh, is right up there. So I would suggest that people go and read that piece from Adam Leventhal and non-EFL related, um, but Adam Hurry's piece on the return of Five Aside. I mean, I have loved reading Adam's writing for <laughs> the better part of a decade. I still remember a piece he wrote about Sunday League phrases, pro- probably a full decade ago, um, and he still delights me. I watched, I read that article with with a grin on my face throughout and then a big old laugh at the end. So do go and check out both of those pieces. If you're not a subscriber of The Athletic, you can get 50% off, which I think as deals go at the moment, it's about as good as it gets. £2.50 a month for everything on The Athletic, all their podcasts ad-free as well through the app, uh, theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20. As the season comes to a close and the Euros crack on, uh, do get signed up if you're not already. You talk about players, George, whose quality level is closer to the Europa League than the second tier. Can I present you Arno Danjuma of uh, of Bournemouth, yes. who has in his past scored a goal in the Champions League from 30 yards against Atletico Madrid? So maybe you could uh, <laughs> maybe you could go a bit further with that. Um, what can we say? Bournemouth four, Coventry one. Danjuma now has seven <clears throat> goals and four assists in his last eight games. He's absolutely part of that conversation as well. For for this podcast, what we should have done is just recorded me talking about quality players and how they can make a difference and then just replayed it for all three games because <laughs> you are right it's, it's, it's a similar thing here um dan juma in every aspect of his game um just a cut above whether it was his ball carrying ability whether it was his creative work whether it's his finishing um it, it kind of feels like for him given how much of a difficult time he'd had like you know unlike Saar, who was the the shining light last season in, in Watford's terrible season uh, in getting relegated Danjuma had a torrid first season uh, at Bournemouth and it, I would say that this season in the championship no matter whether they whether they go up or not could well be actually the best thing for his career because he's now you know he's 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 wanted goods again. I can imagine there'd be a host of teams in the Premier League and around uh, Europe's top leagues who'd be interested in signing him. Um, he is back in form. He's playing regularly, scoring goals. Um, you know, and he's going to be a key part. I mean, I, I agree with you in terms of what you've said recently about about uh, Bournemouth in the press. Um, <laughs> well, I, I think they're a team who we're probably going to see in the playoffs, and they have the individual quality in order to to, to go pretty far in those. And I definitely had concerns over Jonathan Woodgate being the man to to take them forward long-term uh, or even short-term this season. But you have to put those to one side now because there's just absolutely no evidence of he being of him being the same manager as he was at Middlesbrough because their performance levels are high, they're scoring goals. It's not the kind of dour, stale stuff that we, that we became used to. 
um, at Borough. And maybe that's because, you know, there was all that talk of him saying he was going to change the style at, at, at Borough. And it didn't really happen, you know, say, except for one or two instances where they seem to kind of retain the ball for the, for, for the sake of it. Um, whereas now he actually has a team who have the technical quality to play that way. And, uh, and yeah, they are consistently playing at a pretty high level. I mean, they're, they're, I think they're finishing, um, you know, they're, they're putting, they're being very clinical. And I don't know if that's necessarily going to be something that, that continues long term. But again, with only five games after the season, followed by a couple of playoff games, uh, having that belief that they can do this and having players like Dan Juma and even Brooks getting back on the score sheet is yeah. big news for them too. Um, and, you know, Solanke looked pretty embarrassed with his goal, uh, given <laughs> the way the way it went in as a deflection. But, um, Brooks, but yeah, Brooks I think it's a good time. Brooks was inspired by you questioning his uh, his output this season on last week's Monday pod. Um, uh, yes. What else was I going to say there? Oh, while you were talking, I was just thinking how perfect it is that if you want to put together a championship dream team from this season, the front four is just Saar on the right, Wendy in the middle, Dan Juma on the left and Tony up top. I think that works pretty Easy well. That. Um, yeah. Barnsley beat Borough 2-0. I don't think there's anything anything new we can tell you here. Um, it was exactly as you would have expected it to look this game. Um, and for the first half of the game, Barnsley struggled to create any meaningful opportunities while also uh, Borough themselves didn't you know there just wasn't a huge amount of action um but as tends to be the case uh, in the last few months at least uh, Barnsley ended up winning the game Alex Mowat scoring direct from a corner and then DK at scoring again I think the only thing I might have already said this so apologize if I'm repeating myself the only new thing I want to say about DK because I feel like we've spoken about him a lot in the last few months and it's so exciting is it's it's evident that he's not just about his physical attributes. We've seen, especially with his take last weekend, that he's got so much uh, intelligence in his movement, but also in where to take the ball in order to create space to get his shots away. But just on his physicality, I mean, how often do we see big, strong strikers in the EFL who don't really understand how best to leverage that sort of elite physicality mm. I, w- I would say we see it a lot in fact you know big yeah. big strong strikers are kind of fetishized by by some managers who, who want to play a way that they think necessitates having that the fact that dk is 20 years old has only played about 18 months as a professional footballer and knows exactly how to use his size his speed his strength uh, in order to to get the better of defenders, you know, second tier defenders as well, uh, is pretty exciting. Uh, I would say at this stage, uh, Warnock had some quite funny quotes after this one when he was asked about Barnsley's style of play, and they do play very very direct football, and the centre backs do launch the ball forward quite a lot. So I don't think necessarily he has said anything wrong, but, but I think it was it was the fact that it was him that was quite funny. I, I can hear that you want to talk about this. Let me just. Read out the quotes for the sake of the listener. Fine. He said, they deserve everything that they get for the massive amount of running they are doing. So he's he's bought himself some credit there. But I don't think some of my lads would enjoy playing in that team. I don't think Paddy McNair would fit in or Grant Hall or Johnny Housen. But listen, there's no divine right and I hope they go up. I love it here and I'm glad I only have to come once as you have to report on it every week. He, He was then asked about if there are any similarities between his successful Sheffield United side and this Barnsley side. And he said, my Sheffield United side, I'm not being funny, but I think Chris Morgan looked like Franz Beckenbauer in comparison with Barnsley's back three. They don't think about anything but hoofing it straight away, do they? There's no bringing it down and trying to play. I think my Sheffield United side had more than that, if I'm honest. Jagielka and people like that. 
but the spirit <laughs> but they've but the spirit has got to be fantastic and i hope they go up as they will ruffle a few feathers what are your thoughts Borah's past completion on saturday yeah 40 percent Savile Savile thirty six percent, House and thirty seven percent. Now I know that a big part of that is um, that's going to be to do with style, right? Of, of it's, well, it's the function style. of, Barn- of yeah. Barnsley's press, of course it is. But that is, you know, you've, you. <laughs> I think you you can't be too critical of someone's treatment of the football if your two centre midfielders are, are getting thirty five percent, you know, ball retention in terms of their passing. That is, I'd love to know if if we've ever had a midfield two with that low um, a percentage. Um, you know, Barnsley, I, I liked, I can't remember who posted it, but there was a tweet the other day of, I think it was like an American kid doing some analysis on, on Barnsley and he compared their, their style of play to slime ball, the old game that we used to play back in the day. And you kind of, you do get that where, you know, there were 46 aerial balls won by both Barnsley and, and, and Middlesbrough in the game. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's just my thinking is that this is a borough side under Warnock who, um, themselves uh, weren't treating the ball with too much care. So um, yeah, I and but then having said that, I, it, he's not really having a go, is he? I think it's no. just you know he's he's just lost a game and he's commenting on a style that is normally attributed to him that he probably doesn't like. What it means is we've gone through the top seven now, and as we said, you know six of the seven of them won. Reading dropped out the playoffs after their defeat. They're now two points behind Bournemouth, and they've played a game more. Barnsley three points above Bournemouth. They've also played 41 to Bournemouth's 40. Swansea have played 40, as have Brentford. uh, And Swans are one point above Barnsley. Brentford one point above Swans. There's then a a nine-point gap to Watford, uh, who then have an eight-point gap to Norwich. Uh, Brentford uh, have a game in hand, as do Swansea over Norwich and Watford. So Norwich likely to be promoted this weekend. So I'm looking forward to next Monday's pod. Uh, if that does happen down at the bottom only one team in the relegation picture won this weekend and George is Lebo is Birmingham City they're practically the best team in the league Obviously. since he joined they beat Stoke 2-0 Lukas Djukovic at the double having been frozen out by Itor um, 10 points in 5 games for Boya and he's played almost exclusively top 6 teams plus Stoke we like that don't we what a turnaround it, you know, it felt like they were drifting towards League 1 and now I would suggest they likely only need a, a couple more points to guarantee being a championship club next season, which is which is huge. Yeah, and incredible for galvanising the kind of long-term um, future. Like imagine first game of next season, fans back at St Andrews welcoming a player that they used to adore who's already steered them away from relegation. Mm. Um, it, it puts them in an incredibly exciting position. Shiver down my spine there. Yeah, me too. That was weird. I thought it was just cold in here. Um, but I... I, uh, you know, th- there are still going to be concerns and issues about whether or not Birmingham City can ever be a functioning long-term club with the current ownership structure, well, not even structure, personnel. Um, Lee Bowyer doesn't seem to think that it's a massive issue, but he he wouldn't, I guess. Um, but but definitely in the you know in the short term, this is a hell of a job that he's doing. Um, you know, I think his decision to to move on from Charlton, given you know what I guess we're going to talk about in a second. Um, seems to be one of those moves that just benefits all parties. Uh, Charlton, uh, I think, are pretty happy with their new man and, and what they're doing. Birmingham have made a great start. And, and for Boya, he's now a championship manager again and, and will be next season, barring a massive collapse. Um, I think this is just another case of one of those games where it's a team, you know, I, I kind of mentioned it on the betting show on Thursday. It's a game between a team with everything on the line and everything to play for against a team who frankly uh, kind of fizzling towards the end of the campaign and and that's what it felt like here it felt like one team putting everything 
uh, forward to try and get the three points and another who, to be fair, um, you know, the, the season, they're not quite on the beach. Well, maybe they are. Uh, they, they certainly look like they were on Saturday. Everyone knows that the centre-back who's the best at crossing in the championship is Paddy McNair, but possibly Mark Roberts second, mm. because not for the first time this season, swung in an absolute butte onto the head of, of Djukovic um, for the first goal. Uh, Roberts has been one, one of a couple of players kind of reborn under Bowyer, really impressive stuff. Now you mentioning that Charlton are happy with their new man got me thinking about, imagine if Nigel Adkins started dating your ex. I mean, that would be, it's never easy, <laughs> is it? It's never easy, but that would be a nightmare. You'd watch his his morning videos every morning, even though you don't want to, even though you hated him, you'd watch them with such hatred in your heart um, and seeing how See, happy. Mate, Go on. I just think I would, I'd be like, I'm so happy that my ex is with such a nice guy. Well, that's an image of yourself that you'd like to project. <laughs> That I'm not sure I really buy. But anyway, <laughs> um, d- down at the bottom, I mentioned they're the only winners. Because obviously, I'm with her, wouldn't I? So. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, we move on. Damaging defeats for Sheffield Wednesday and Wickham, uh, you-, you have to say. Especially, you know, you talk about those scrapping for their lives versus those thinking of Dubai. Well, you know, Wickham versus comfortably mid-table Luton and Sheffield Wednesday versus comfortably mid-table QPR. You would have thought that the teams that got ended up getting beaten were the uh the scrappers uh but it, it didn't work for them on this yeah. occasion i mean Although, dif- different with, reasons for it you'd say yeah i mean with, with wickham it, it, it kind of nearly did happen um it was the red card for jason knight that i think was yeah. pretty harsh to be honest um it kind of looked worse because it almost looked like his stud kind of got caught in 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 the boot of the player that he was i can't remember who it was uh, who he was tackling um which meant that kind of the stud on foot was elongated to an extent that you could really see that it happened but i don't think it was a particularly dangerous tackle i don't think it was high um i think it was probably just a yellow card uh, and even though gareth ainsworth said after the game that they need to win five from five and, and they're well capable of doing that uh i think that red card decision could be the final nail in, in wickham's coffin um sadly for then and it's just another case of a massive marginal call going against them, uh, which seems to be the trend this season. And there seem to be some suggestions as well that maybe Preston have got their man in, in Gareth Ainsworth and, and it's just going to be a case of letting him uh, take charge of of, of Wickham until the end of the season, see them, see the job through uh, and then and then maybe take over in the summer, which could be interesting as well. Um, that is just, just, just reports, nothing that I know. Just, um, just on the red card, I, I'm spending more time than usual on the FA's website, reading the laws of the game because it increased uh, opportunities on Quest and the understandable need to look at contentious decisions from the day where we tend Mm. to not talk too much about refereeing decisions on this podcast because I have a very strong opinion that it is not compelling audio content, especially when you can't actually see the incident as you talk about it. But um, I'm, I'm trying my best to, to, you know, be correct in these. I've been, I've got a bit of stick for, being mean about referees i've got a bit of stick for being too nice about referees so i'm, I'm just trying to be as best as i can be and, and you'll be the same no doubt on when you're on on, on saturday you'll probably have this the, the thing i'm really confused about okay with this night red card is on the website it says um that if if a foul is basically careless then no disciplinary sanction is needed if that's when a player shows a lack of attention or consideration when making a challenge, fine. Reckless is when a player acts with disregard to the danger or consequences for an opponent and must be cautioned. That's a yellow when it's reckless. Using excessive force is when a player exceeds the necessary use of force and endangers the safety of an opponent and must be sent off. Now, the difference between 
reckless, acting with disregard to the danger of your opponent, which is a yellow, and excessive force, strikes me that's fairly, that could be quite negligible and extremely subjective about mm. force itself. So a really, really tough one. An orange, that one for me, an orange. Um, anyway, yeah, I mean, that's the most compelling goes, refereeing content we've ever done. But it just goes to show how stupid VAR is, because as you say, it, it is subjective. And so the idea of being able to kind of change your decision based on watching it again in slow motion, I'd rather, yeah, keep keep the mistakes, please. Yeah, OK. Well, uh, it was 3-1 in the end to Luton. Nathan Jones, he's not been pleased with the performances recently. He won't have been pleased in the first half. That was shown with a triple sub at halftime, really attacking substitutions. Of course, they got the win. Uh, we believe that it was uh, pretty pivotal, the red card. But Kazengo Loalawa's goal and celebration, an absolute delight. A feast for the eyes. Um, and just QPR 4, Sheffield Wednesday 1. QPR, what a lovely few months they're having. Um, we, we've talking about Johansson and Austin. This time uh, it was it was Lyndon Dykes with a proper... This is Lyndon Dykes at his best. And you can see why people would be excited if he could reach that level all the time with two-headed goals and really nice bit of hold-up play um, for another of the goals. And Ilias Chair and, and Willock, who's been brilliant as well in the last few weeks, combining really nicely. So more of the same for QPR. Entertaining football, lots of goals. Uh, it's 10 goals in their last three home games now. Really exciting stuff. Are we are we kind of starting the slow lament for Sheffield Wednesday this season? Are we, are we kind of booking it now? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. Um, even though QPR were, were impressive here, Sheffield Wednesday had loads of chances um, and created plenty uh, in the game. I, I don't think the scoreline necessarily reflects um, the balance of play, even though it does show a very, very good performance from certain players. You know, you mentioned Dykes. Willett was very good as well. Um, so, no, I mean, I, seven I still points, don't think... Seven points, the gap. I suppose that they need to, A, pick up at least three well at least four wins really but also hope maybe that Coventry are really bad and Rotherham are quite bad as well that's basically it yeah right? I mean and they've also yeah seven points to Coventry um, having played the same amount of games with seven left and eight points to Derby have played a game more so I, I mean I think probably what four wins from six which is obviously very difficult but I think getting 12 points on the board gives Coventry something to well gives basically both Coventry and Derby a bit of a headache in terms of getting to to that level um and we've seen, I, I think, the performance levels against Barnsley, obviously against Cardiff, uh, against Norwich in that first half. I, I think there's there's enough there with four of those games being at home as well. Uh, although Hillsborough hasn't been the happiest hunting ground for, for Sheffield Wednesday. Um, although last time they played there, that was, it was the 5-0 win. So I, I could easily see them you know, picking up a couple of wins in, in the first, in the out of those three home games. And if they do that, I don't think they'll be too far off. Um, I, I think unlike a Wickham, for example, where you can't really see despite what Gareth Ainsworth says, you can't really see them winning five games in a row. Um, I think Sheffield Wednesday do have the the quality under and have put in the performances under Darren Moore um, to maybe make it a bit more of a contest. Although obviously, you know, I do expect them to, to go down. Elsewhere, Huddersfield breathed a huge sigh of relief. They played against Rotherham and a defeat would have been hugely damaging. A, a defeat would have put Rotherham uh, only what four points behind them? No, five points behind them with it with three games in hand over them. So the nil or draw kind of keeps the wall from the door. Big chances missed, you have to say, for Rotherham, Matt Crooks, and, and Ben Wiles. Sort of taking the positive, you know. Again, I said it the other week. That there'll be people who who think oh, Rotherham are going to be so tired. It's not really been in evidence at the moment. They've got a big week. They're playing Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday. I still think they can pick up wins. You know, I still think Rotherham are a big, big player in this. Um, and 
I think I probably, I would say at this point, I think that it's more likely they'll stay up than go down, which might not be the popular view. Mm. But, you know, we're talking 51%, uh, 51%, 49% uh, in my head anyway. In League One. Not 52-48? No, no, absolutely not. Okay, good. I hate that. Um, <laughs> in League One, in the top three, which is, I think, what we have to call them, we thought it was three into two with Harlem, Posh and Sunderland, and it was a significant weekend on that front. I mean, what extra can you say about a Hull and a Peter Reside who won so comfortably 3-0 for whom the star players are players that we've admired all season? George, I mean, match analysis probably less important than... Out the window. Out the window. Well, what's what's still in the room then? Uh, <laughs> um, praising certain players, I guess. Okay. Uh, I, I, which I think in itself is probably match analysis. I don't know if that really works. Um, but yeah, I mean, Siriki Dembele was... Arise, Sir Ricky. So good. I mean, I loved I loved his first goal um, where, you know, he's he's lying on the floor basically on top of the ball and then... 10 seconds later, he's somehow suddenly bearing down on goal uh, with a nice finish. Um, yeah, it was it was a pretty rampant display um, from Posh. He also missed a penalty through Clark Harris, who made amends pretty quickly afterwards. Uh, and with, you know, I think... Should have let Dembele take it. I just think... Yes, maybe he didn't want to. No, no, he, he did. He was standing there for about a minute. <laughs> ah, well, there you go. Um, it was one of those funny ones where Clark Harris is standing on the spot holding the ball. Dembele is standing like... 50 centimeters away just sort of you know pulling up his socks and stuff just just hanging <laughs> around just what probably didn't want to ask the question because i think he probably knew mm. the answer but i mean hulls you, you talk about a comfortable win hulls was similarly comfortable and, and it's eight wins and two draws in their last 10 the form side in this conversation yeah it's just doing what hull do um just kind of no frills dominance again um, this is, uh, I guess, a little bit of a troubling run for, for Plymouth, that's, except for a, a kind of decent spell in the middle, um, has been going on for quite a long time now. I think Luke, Je- Luke Jeffcott will probably be wishing that he <laughs> had managed to get his move in January because things have not gone well for him in the new year. Uh, you know, another kind of classic case, I guess, maybe of um, a player a player's scoring streak being unsustainable. It's not a massive slight on him as a footballer, but just nobody scores at that rate uh, over, over long periods of time um but yeah for for Hull again just so impressive Keen Lewis Potter seems to be getting better and better almost by the week at the moment um George Honeyman again with a really good display Doherty from midfield who's, who's maybe the kind of the one signing from the summer who hasn't been you know he was one that I was very excited about and I think he's done it in 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 batches but he was very very good um on Saturday as well and given what happened at the Stadium of Light, um, you kind of feel like, yeah, the match analysis for these two isn't the most important thing. It's just the fact that they got the three points and the team who, you know, the third team in this little mini league um, dropped points for the first time in, in a long time. Some would say a podcast with two people only needs one person who's a 10 out of 10 when it comes to segues. But when you've got two, we really are popping. George, you've led us in so nicely there to Sunderland. I did that on purpose. I know you did. Sunderland, Charlton. I mean, I thought this was an epic game. I had it on at Quest. And it felt like there were a lot of opportunities for both sides and it was quite an entertaining watch for the neutral. Um, What did you think about this game? The result itself, 2-1 Charlton, fairly, fairly, uh, what's the word? Fairly significant, you'd say. Um, with Hull and Posh's wins, uh, but also for Charlton in terms of their playoff battle. Yeah, probably the most important 
result, I guess, maybe in the EFL this weekend because it both has a big effect on who is likely to get promoted automatically with Sunderland now being definitely the least likely of the three, having dropped these three points with not many games to go. And for Charlton, it, it puts them not only right back in the mix um, for the playoffs, but I think it, it shows anybody who'd maybe written them off as not being good enough to to kind of fight back and push their way back into the playoffs to go to Sunderland uh, and to beat them, a team that, uh, you know, a feat that not many teams do to do it under their new manager, Nigel Atkins as well. Um, you know, and they were good value for the win too. You know, Stockley went very close to scoring a second at one nil before uh, getting the assist for Gilby for the third. Um, Sunderland had their chances to do, I, I would say, you know, that it's not, um, I don't think anybody's going to go to Sunderland and play them off the park and restrict their chances and beat them. I think when you go there, especially under Johnson, it's going to be a game where you're going to have to kind of ride your luck at times. I, I, I know what you're saying when you say Charlton were good for it, and I think that's true. It's also one of those where if Ben Amos doesn't have the game of his life on his birthday, we probably, <laughs> you know, we probably are looking at this as a as a two-two at least, or a or even a three-two win for Sunderland. So. I, I mean, I saw some Sunderland fans, understandably, given the the intensity of their situation at the top of the league and the run they've been on, I've se- I've already seen some Sunderland fans saying, "Oh, we're going to bottle it." I'm not really sure this would count as a bottle, by the way, in, no. in in the way that I understand the term. I'm not sure Sunderland missing out on the top two even fits the criteria for a bottle job. But it's one of the, yeah, mean, it's, it's it's one of the stupidest things in football discourse. Is apparently whoever fails to do what they set out to do bottles it when actually somebody has to has to come third somebody has to miss out you know if you've got three teams at the top of the table losing one game at home to a team coming second seventh having been unbeaten 14 um you know you're not bottling it it's just the way that football works uh it's you know a, a bottle is when you have a team who have basically secured whatever they're setting out to do and then go on a run of form that you know unravels all of that um this would not be that so it's almost like they it's like a pre-bottle, wasn't it, really? that Their bottle job, if there was one, was a poor run of form before Lee Johnson came in. <laughs> if, a mid-season if, if, if Sunderland lose every single game to the end of the season and fall out of the playoffs, um, then that would be bottling yeah. the um, promotion. <laughs> what they're doing at the moment is not that. What I do like as well, though, is Sunderland-Charlton have quite a fun history. Um, they obviously played against each other. Sunderland's first game back in League One, uh, live on Sky. And then that season ended with them playing each other for the last game of the season at Wembley in the playoff final, where Sunderland scored very early after a pretty poor Naby Sar um, mistake. And then, you know, they've got just played here in a big game that could see Charlton muscle their way into seventh and sorry, sixth. And if they come sixth, there's a pretty good chance they'll play Sunderland over two legs. Um, so I like that kind of bubbling. Uh, rivalry that's gone on between those two because Sunderland will both want payback for what happened at Wembley and also for this result here if they do miss out on automatics. Well, the other three uh, playoff sides who are in it currently outside of Sunderland can be paid off in, in the space of two fixtures, which is always nice because Pompey's Danny Cowley four wins in a row to start his regime bubble was burst by Jimmy Hasselbank's Brewers, uh, Burton Albion on Saturday. It was a real sort of smash and grab this, I think. There hadn't been a huge amount in the game and then a long throw caused carnage and Mike Fondop sort of uh, Fosbury flopped it uh, <laughs> into the goal with an let's, overhead Let's call kick. it the Fosbury Fondop. The Fosbury no. Fondop. Sort if, of, if you do it in football. <laughs> <laughs> sort of, a, a, I mean, if you're being really nice, you'd call it a bicycle kick. Uh, if you, it was, it was a, yeah, 
You have to see it to understand, basically. Um, uh, Nice pickup for them, you have to say. Mike Fondop, uh, previously Mm. had only played in non-league. So um, really good. I don't know who takes the credit for that signing, but very impressive. And Joe Powell with an absolute screamer about two minutes later. Pompey finding themselves 2-0 down, probably a little bit shell-shocked and and losing that game. Burton, their record under Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank is 35 points in 17 games, uh, two points per game in that juncture uh it's absolutely unbelievable it really really mm. is uh, and lincoln 2 blackpool 2 i mean i can't believe this <laughs> any listeners of the betting show will know what i mean um i was pretty strong uh, pretty bullish that blackpool would i think to use my phrase run all over lincoln and to all intents and purposes that's what happened for two-thirds of the game uh and then at two nil up I, I still don't really know what happened anthony scully came on for lincoln uh, scored a really nice goal, volley at the back post to make it 2-1. And 10 minutes later, set up Brennan Johnson. So um, very, very impressive comeback from Lincoln, you have to say. And probably a team at the top who most would consider not to have the squad depth of others. Um, so when subs come off the bench and make a big impact, I always think that's a nice moment when when the squad strength and depth is being questioned. Um, so fair play to Lincoln. A, a really important last half hour of that game because they, they haven't won for a while but that kind of changes the vibe, I think, and and they, you know they stay in the playoffs, a point above Charlton, and they've got one more game to play. So anyone writing Lincoln off, I think maybe still a little bit too early. Had they lost that game two 0 with a whimper, yeah, um, I'm sure I'd be saying something different there. Down at the bottom, George, it feels like no more than two of the six relegation threatened teams ever win in a given weekend and (laughs) this week it was the turn of Wimbledon and Wigan (laughs) two unbelievable wins 5-1 for Wimbledon at Accrington having gone a goal down and 4-1 for Wigan at Doncaster I mean where do you want to go first I don't know uh been both incredibly impressive it was quite a weird um set of results not in terms of just who won but the score lines it kind of felt like final day when things kind of all get a bit um ragged because a lot of the games don't seem to have much on them but you know it just in in league one alone we had a six nil a four one a five one um yeah just and, and not necessarily the teams you'd expect to do that for, for wimbledon i don't know if it's fair to say this has been coming um but i do feel like mark robinson has definitely made a made a big impact there uh, I really like his interviews. I like this interview after the game here uh, to go one nil down against a side who, you know, I thought were very impressive when I saw them last week um, and to kind of fight back and, and do what they did was, was, was massive. Uh, you know, Ollie Palmer showing that there's, you know, life in the old dog yet, I guess uh, as, a, as a target man, um, you know, he's life always in been the very big, dominant life in the big dog, the big dog, the, the tall <laughs> life and the tall dog. Um, and, and what about the pig? And the pig, well done. And the pig and the dog. Fifteenth uh, goal of the season for Pig at brilliant free kick. Yeah, and 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 that was good too. I mean, Hennigan getting a, a very late red card when you're five one up and you're entangled in a relegation fight isn't uh, the um... put my football cliches hat on. That is the classic. Took the gloss off a fine day for Wimbledon. Yeah, and I mean he's been so important to them. He's been a brilliant pickup. Um, so for, for them to be without him for the next game is. I mean, I don't know if it's midweek or next weekend. I assume it's midweek. Um, is not ideal, but this is a huge result for them, and it's just probably a little bit frustrating for them that the, the one team who are who are hottest on their heels in Wigan, who've probably been in the best form, I would say. I know that the results haven't necessarily been there, but their performance levels over the last five or six games have been much better than what we've been used to. Um, and you know, if I say it's a stretch for to say that that, that result have been coming for. 
Wimbledon, I think for Wigan, especially because Doncaster have been so poor under Andy Butler in, in the last few weeks. Um, I think this one had been coming and mm. they were they were good, you know, they were, they were brilliant on the day. Um, they looked to be Smashed a side who were, who were playing with uh, with a fair bit of, of, of freedom. Um, and, you know, Liam Richardson, we, we said it a fair few times, I think is doing just a, a brilliant job. Um, and we spoke to, to Dr. Tom Markham on the Totally Football E-Show Extra Time last week. Um, and it does feel like the new owners, um, you know, the, from Phoenix 2021, the, the Bahraini company, uh, the UK-based company, they do have... They're bringing in the right kind of people at the club yeah. and they do have some pretty high aspirations. Uh, and I feel like if Wigan can just somehow get their way out of this, it would A, be very difficult for them to dispense with the services of Liam Richardson, who would have done one of the best jobs in, in the EFL if he manages that. Um, and, I, and I think the next season we're going to see a very, very different Wigan side. Um, you know, they might not be splashing the cash as, as we asked him, but I think his answer of saying mm, it's not spending money for money's sake, it is spending money wisely uh that's quite different to when we spoke to for example thomas sangard at charlton who seemed to be very much pushing the um willingness to invest as being a pretty key aim um whereas here i think they're bringing the right kind of people so it's going to be difficult for them uh to get out of this but at the same time i think if there's any team in the, in the current top four who are playing well enough to do so i, I think it's them and the bottom four, I think, is what you meant. But we, we knew, we knew it, it what you meant. It definitely is. Um, yeah. I mean, they, they evidently have not been consistent this season. There's so many reasons for it. But when you see Will Keane's dancing feet, when you see Joe Dodu and, and Viv Solomon Ottobor and how they can impact the game in the final third at times, you know, there's a lot to be excited about, even just from now to the end of the season. And, and that's without Callum Lang uh, as well, who was missing. So, looks just 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 pure positives. They they dominated the game. Um, as we say, we think that Doncaster's performances right now are about as bad as it gets at the level. But even so, um, a huge three points. And just lastly, to go back to Wimbledon, because uh, when a youngster scores a brace uh, and uses the corner flag as a javelin in celebration, um, <laughs> that is meets the criteria for him to be talked about on not the top twenty pods. So. Ayub Asal, uh, he scored a goal a couple of weeks back, so these weren't his first goals for the club. But uh, a youngster who, even before the weekend, had been talked up by Mark Robinson, uh, obviously someone who has been with the club and with the youth department more specifically for, for a long time and knows the current crop of basically sort of young professionals and scholars very, very well. He seems really excited about Asal. Um, we've spoken to someone uh, who, who knows the player pretty well as well and I think you know he's 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 small, he's skillful. I think there's as often as there's as is often the case question marks about his physicality that might be wider the mark. That, that to all intents and purposes, what I've heard about this guy is that he's an he's an unbelievable competitor, just insanely tenacious, um, very direct with the ball and and good vision, good passing as well. So um, I don't know whether he will establish himself as a first team player straight away. Might be used in flashes. Uh, but someone to keep an eye on, Ayub Asal of, of Wimbledon for sure. Uh, elsewhere, well, there was a, a six-pointer, I guess, between Northampton and Bristol Rovers that ended 1-1. I think Rovers will be feeling worse after this, um, not least because the penalty itself was a bit unfortunate more than anything. Well, either unfortunate or a complete disgrace, depending on your um, viewpoint. <laughs> I'll go with unfortunate. Um, but um, but also just the fact they should have been further ahead, went 1-0 up, had the had you know the majority of the game, I would say, for, for the first half and would have been disappointed. Um, very strange quotes from Joey Barton, uh, where before this game, 
you know, uh, just trying to get something extra out of his group of players. They did this unusual thing at the Memorial Stadium a couple of days or maybe the day before the game, George. They, Barton, I'm, I'm reading now, Barton, his staff and the squad removed their boots to soak up the energy. It's probably easier <laughs> if the man in charge is left to explain. He said, Joe Barton, this is, the theory behind it is... The Earth is a huge ball of molten lava spinning around the sun, which is emitting electrical and heat pulses. The Earth gets struck by lightning multiple times a day and absorbs positive and negative electrons. And because of our bodies, we're mainly water and the moon affects tides. And it's logical to think the moon affects us. I mean, they played well for the first half hour, so not for me. Is he wrong? Not for me to say that that wasn't a good thing to do, but sadly... Um, didn't translate into three points there. I, I genuinely don't know what else to say about that. I'm 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 out my depth. I'm well out <laughs> maybe, my depth. The, the tide is in, George, and I am out my depth. Maybe we should try it. Maybe we should try it. Maybe we and should. And then try. we can comment. Okay. Well, let's do that. Um, uh, and Rochdale, I tried to get you to say Sheffield Wednesday had been relegated in the championship segment. Can we can we book this one? Rochdale done. Too much to no, do. No. No. Okay. Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. Six, it's good content, George. I'm just pro- I'm prodding the bear. That's what that's no, my no, job. It's, it's like you're you're trying to get me to write clickbait articles for you. <laughs> um, you know, I don't want to say EFL pundit George Ellick relegates Rochdale because they're not down. You know, they've got they um, they've got six points to make up in seven games. That is, you know, this that's the equivalent of of watching a golf tournament and and saying the winners won. On the eighth, on the eighth tee, when they're two you, shots clear, it's you told not... me about three different players had won in the first two days of the Masters. So you know, and I practice, was, and, and what, what was I, Ali? Wrong. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, Rochdale have. It wasn't um, a performance. That, well, it wasn't the performance they wanted on Saturday or the result. But we've seen enough from them in the last couple of weeks to to suggest that they are, are better than they were um, a few weeks ago when they weren't registering any attacking output at all um you know there was it's a little bit noisy but you flagged up um you know on the old xg ratio tables are there towards the top for the last four and eight games um so that has to mean something even if um it's hard to believe they've been the best side in the division in that time and yeah as i say you know it's that they're they're feasibly you know a couple of wins and a draw away from just getting out of it um, so we, we've seen other teams who are up there, Northampton, AFC Wimbledon, just put together a, a mini run. Um, and you also consider Rochdale have two games in hand on Northampton and they're only seven points behind them. You'd have to be insane to relegate them now. Hmm. Okay, if you say so. Um, Fleetwood are doing well under Simon Grayson, 25 points from his 15 games so far. Uh, very good record. And a little bit a little bit like Ayuba Sal, I think it's only right to mention they've got a 19-year-old called James Hill playing at centre-back. He's played the last 12 games, uh, been a big part of this run. He is the son of former professional Matt Hill, uh, who Preston and Bristol City and Sheffield United and Tranmere fans specifically will remember. And he looks like a, a really interesting talent, an interesting prospect. I know, I don't know this for sure, but we have speculated over the last few weeks that Fleetwood, their owner Andy Pilly, might be trying to go down a slightly different route, um, which relies slightly less on his funding uh, high wages 
for players. So James Hill, very much one to watch. Um, Dale have only won one in their last 14. So if they're going to get all these wins that you're talking about them getting, that needs to happen All now. these wins. <laughs> Listen to you. All these wins that I've done. You think that I've after done. seasons of, of analysing the EFL, you should know of all people that crazy things do happen, even if they're unlikely. So um, could we get, know, I, could we get Brian, clarify. if they do stay up, could we get Brian Barry Murphy on karaoke singing a song called All These Wins That I've Done to the right. tune of the killers, all I'll these things that I've done. And yeah. you'll do it with him. God, that'd be a good night out, wouldn't it? Uh, okay, lastly, in League One, it means nothing, I don't think. Um, Proking the bear here. Crew nil, Oxford six. Crew had beaten MK Dons on Monday with a, with a brilliant performance, executed their game plan magnificently, and then they kind of got executed in game plan terms magnificently by, uh, by your yellows here. Your joint highest ever away win. Uh, what on earth happened here? Brandon Barker happened, I think. Um, I wouldn't mind Brandon Barker just chilling out a little bit if we're not going to get in the playoffs so that people don't realise that um, he... I mean, I'm not doing not doing my own, myself a favour by what I'm about to say. But um, yeah, I mean, he's he is with every game getting very, very good. And it's kind of starting to show the kind of ability that, that suggests why Man City were pretty keen on him uh, a few years ago and why Rangers moved to, to sign him. Um, Stevie Kenneborough, who is an old ex-Rangers and Oxford player who, who works for BBC Radio Oxford, seems pretty convinced that no matter what Brandon Barker does, he is not going to be um, wanted back at Rangers. So it's going to be interesting to see where he turns up next season because he was absolutely electric here. Whether it was his run uh, and cross for James Henry's goal, whether it was his own goal where he picked up the ball inside his own half, beat a couple of players and then rolled it into the bottom right-hand corner, um, the boy is absolute quality uh, and is, is is very, very good indeed. And, and for Oxford, you know, I had pretty much ruled out a playoff push. Um, but as is often the case, you get sucked back in because results couldn't really have gone better for them. You know, you've got Blackpool and Lincoln sharing the points. You've got Pompey getting beaten. You've got Ipswich failing to win at home again. Charlton, the only side in that group who who won. And that in itself was uh, was against Sunderland. So um, given that Oxford's run of form till the end of the season, you know, they had a club record win winning streak when they played these teams earlier on. It's Shrewsbury, Gillingham, AFC Wimbledon, Plymouth, um, Shrewsbury again, and then Burton. Uh, I would be surprised if any other side um, has a run-in against a combination of league positions that adds up to more, i.e., um, you know, it's not the hardest run-in. I guess the issue is that they're not playing any of the teams around them, which would give them an opportunity to, to make up ground on them. But um, maybe it's not quite over yet uh, for Oxford, even though... As with Rochdale and as with Wicket, as with uh, with Sheffield Wednesday, um, it's obviously more than likely that that it is. Just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in. That's you, there, exactly the pod father. Right. Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> right. Let's move on to part three of uh, this pod, League Two. <laughs> Only two winners in the top. I never seven. thought we'd get Ali doing film banter on not the top twenty. A man, a man who's watched about as many films as Michael Owen. Um, amazing <laughs> and killed. Fewer rabbits. Yeah. I want that on record. Um, Cheltenham won, Leighton Orient w- w- win? What? Wood. <laughs> Cheltenham won. That's, that'll teach me for talking about films I haven't even seen. <laughs> uh, Cheltenham won, Leighton Orient nil. Uh, this was a big win for Cheltenham because it sent them to the top of the table. More on that later. There is very little to say about the game itself. The goal came about from Lawrence Vigaru sort of forgetting that he needs to use his hands to 
ca- catch or punch the ball yeah. uh, rather than just sort of pushing over a striker um, as the ball is, is bouncing out towards the byline out wide. Um, so that was disappointing from an Orient perspective there. Um, their good runner form under Joby McEnough has been somewhat halted and some of the teams around them won as well. So playoff push looking unlikely. Um, but Cheltenham top of the table, Harrogate were unbelievable in the first half against Bolton, George. I, I'm almost incapable of doing Bolton 2, Harrogate 1 analysis because I had I watched this one quite closely at Quest because I picked Bolton for the betting show. I could not believe what I was seeing in the first half an hour. Harrogate, and you've spoken about it a little bit from an Oxford fan point of view, that when, when Oxford lose, there's almost never any appreciation for the performance of the opposition. Mm. And sure enough, at halftime, 1-0 down to Harrogate, Bolton fans were fuming. You know, they were talking about bottle jobs, etc., etc. And I was like, lads, you're playing against Brazil. Like the, the speed with which they played, the passing and movement, they were peppering the goal. You know, they, they, their goal was a bit scrappy in the end, but I was so impressed with their build-up play. And having said that, I thought Harrogate were kind of petering out a little bit, maybe running out of steam as they end their first season at this level. Uh, I want to take that back because they were excellent in the first half. But Bolton turned it around. Um, their strength showed in the end. Isgrove sort of dribbling one in from range. The sort of goal that only really goes in in League Two. I don't know if that's something a bit rude about the goalkeepers or whatever, but it's like kind of a weak left-footed shot from 20, 23 yards, which somehow went through six bodies and perfectly into the far corner without the goalie getting it. Uh, and Owen Doyle capitalising on a mistake to give Bolton the win. So they're now in the top three. The, I guess the big fixture and result of the weekend, George, was Cambridge 1, Exeter 4. That one mm. was pretty lively. Very lively. Um just when we'd given Cambridge the seal of approval, uh, having doubted their their uh, their um, staying power throughout the season, they go and put in a performance like this. And it's just, if I was an Exeter fan, I'd be, I mean, obviously delighted with the win, but just frustrated that this Exeter team, when they turn up like this, have to be probably the best It's like team. you're reading my notes. My note says, please can Exeter play like this every game? I know. Well, even looking at the league table now, you've got Tranmere and, and Bolton on on uh, 67 and 65 points in third and fourth with a goal difference of plus five. Exeter's goal difference is plus 20. Now, what that shows you is not, I'm, I'm not by any stretch saying that Exeter deserve to be above Bolton or Tranmere at all, but that just shows that when they are at it, their level of dominance is is massive. So when they're at it, they are able to basically thrash teams in, in League Two. Uh, and probably when they're not at it, they 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 suffer marginal defeats. Um, yeah, it's 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 frustrating for them. They're still obviously well in with the chance of the playoffs, especially with Forest Green seemingly unable to pick up any points and, and Morecambe going through a tricky time as well. Um, and and I think I, I I would probably reckon they will get in there. Uh, I think at the moment I think they're better than than a couple of the sides in there as it stands. Um, but yeah, and a result like this is huge for that for Cambridge. I mean, it's probably frustrating. It has them looking over their shoulder a little bit at Tranmere, six points behind. But I think the key message has to be just to draw a line through that from Mark Bonner and just, you know, get the players um, looking at the league table, looking at the the rest of the season and just chalk this one down as as the anomaly and make sure that in the next five games you pick up enough points to um, to secure that promotion. Randall Williams started his first game since Boxing Day for Exeter, uh, which feels like a significant return from injury. Uh, and your segue was excellent. You mentioned Morecambe and Forest Green in your answer. Well done. Mm-hmm. 10 out of 10. Morecambe losing I'm to Port pro. Vale. 
Vale have won six in a row now. I, I think there wasn't a huge amount in this one and, and Morecambe wanted two penalties. Um, I can't remember where I stood on Quest now. I think I thought one of them was and one of them wasn't. So I do feel a bit bad for Morecambe recently on that front. They've had a couple of uh, decisions go against them. But performances, I think, are still decent. So so anyone looking at Morecambe's one point from three games and thinking, oh, it's got a bit too much for them. Um, you know, the relegation, the preseason relegation favourites has got a bit too much for them and they're going to drop out of it. I don't think so. I think the performances are fine. And then Walsall 2, Forest Green 1. A huge sigh of relief for Walsall, really, wasn't it? They hadn't won in 14 games up to that point. And talk of players returning from injury. Rory Holden, kind of their... I wonder if he'll win their Player of the Season award. He probably will, despite missing a big chunk of games. When he plays, they create more chances, they score more goals. It's, it's quite as simple as that, really. So his first start for over three months coincides with uh, a goal for him and a 2-1 win for Walsall. But the news is Forest Green because four defeats in a row. Mark Cooper has been sacked, uh, George. And Dale Vince basically saying that, uh, you know, it, it looked like they aren't going to achieve their goals this season. And he felt, despite generally being considered quite a patient chairman, certainly when it came to Cooper, who's Forest Green side have been quite streaky over the last few years and, and haven't achieved their aim of winning promotion. He basically felt like making a change gave them the best chance to, to turn things around just in the short term. And he has appointed the under-18s manager, Jimmy Ball, to be interim head coach until the end of the season. So I'm interested to know your thoughts on this. Uh, someone called Footy Shack on Twitter tweeted us to say he should have gone a long time ago, but the club statement doesn't add up. Sacking the manager to get a better chance of promotion and then promoting the under-18s manager. Um, I feel like this is the sort of thing you you you, you quite like talking about. Yeah, um, League Two football, always. Um, it's, it, it's difficult because I think... Dale Vince can only basically change the one thing now, and that's the manager. That's all you can really do as, as, as a football club chairman, as a football club owner. Um, Mark Cooper, it's fair to say, I think, and I have no personal view on him at all, um, is he polarises opinion, should we say. Um, you know, there are quite a lot of people who in the game who have even been quite vocal on social media in the last few days who aren't massive fans of him as a, as a personality, as a character. Um, and therefore, I wonder if, even if, you know, the, the under-18s boss isn't um, the, the same, hasn't got the same tactical, tactical acumen or hasn't um, got the experience that Cooper's got, you know, if, if he is a destructive um, influence behind the scenes, then, you know, just by by his departure, that could be a positive. That's obviously conjecture. I I don't know Mark Cooper. Um, I hope if I ever do meet him, he hasn't listened to what I just said. Um, and if he has, I'm very sorry, Mark. I'm sure you're a lovely you're a lovely bloke. He's already not a fan of us. Um, those, yes, that's those, true. Those who listen each week will remember him. Uh, I mean, it would it's wrong to say he called me out. He didn't at all. Uh, he referenced some punditry I had done, um, where I had said big test for Forest Green now going forward is their record against top teams because they haven't been particularly good over the last few years against the very top teams and that's kind of what's held them back. Uh, of course, he then said after they beat Carlisle, tight 1-0 win back in December, I hope that gentleman was watching um, because this was a big game and we played well. Um, sadly, after that win against Carlisle, just seven wins, five draws and nine defeats, uh, the 16th best record in League Two in that time. Uh, and their record in what I would consider big games uh, against the teams around them in the top seven since he said that. One win, three draws, three defeats. 
Uh, Salford beat Stevenage 2-1. It's back-to-back wins for Salford. And Gary Bowyer, I think most importantly, they've scored two goals in each of those games. It really seems like a fairly simple equation for Salford because they are so consistently good defensively. They really do deny the opposition chances uh, just as well as anyone else in the league, really. But they hadn't scored more than one goal in a game for, I think, nine previously. And that makes it difficult to, to win tight games. But back-to-back wins with two goals scored, um, you know, if that's going to be the norm from now on to the end of the season, I think they probably make the playoffs. Although I wouldn't want to, uh, I wouldn't want to guess at whose expense. Uh, down at the bottom, not really sure here, George. There's, there's kind of bits and bobs. Should we do Grimsby first? Because uh, I mean, when you've when you've won seven and won one of your last eight, and no one can work out. Drawn seven and won one. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, drawn seven and won one, and and you're kind of at the limit. You know, you really need to start picking up wins. Um, to be one 0 down at Bradford at halftime isn't the end of the world because you've shown that you can get back into games and maybe you can you can come back into it in the second half and get a draw. Then when your striker headbutts your midfield player and gets sent off by the referee, that, that makes your job a little harder, I think. Yeah, incredibly stupid um, from Stefan Payne to do that. Um, interesting to note that Paul Hurst uh, kind of alleges that, well, not alleges, but he says that Payne, both Payne and Maurice, who was headbutted, had let the club down, which suggests that he was obviously provoked um, and some wrongdoing on, on Maurice's part. But yeah, I mean... If you're going to get sent off, you might as well leave not an opposition player, surely. Um, but it's, that, that's a joke. I do not condone violence. Um, but it's it's just a stupid thing to do um, when you're when you're well into a game. Um, you know, you're only one nil down. You've got a whole second half to come, uh, and you're fighting. Um, not literally, but you are. You know, you're scrapping to to try and uh, try and get out of out of the drop zone, and have made a pretty decent effort at it over the last few weeks. He's you know he's let everybody down. Uh, interesting to note that Marais was subbed off as well at the time. Uh, I wonder if those two sat next to each other on the bench for the second half. <laughs> I love how you, you t- told me earlier that you didn't want my uh, questioning about whether teams are relegated or essentially relegated because you didn't want headlines to reflect that you, you were doing clickbait. And then you yourself have just said that someone should headbutt members of the opposition. I don't think that. I have I about you. There's your headline, BBC Humberside. Um, <laughs> uh, and then the last two teams to talk about, because it's it's not over. It is not over quite yet. Colchester, I can't actually read my notes about Colchester because this is a, a show for everyone, including children, and there's a lot of words in there that shouldn't be said out loud on, it, on any platform, really, or even thought, but, you know, I'm not perfect. 14 points from their last 25 league games, George. That's, that's bad, isn't it? They lost 5-2 on Friday <clears> night to Oldham. Um, but Southend couldn't couldn't necessarily capitalise their first game since Mark Molesley was ditched for Phil Brown, who came in with a, a cravat and a barber jacket and drew nil-nil with Southend. But it's still open. They're playing each other next Tuesday, the 20th of April. Yeah, Phil Brown saying after the game that uh, it's very hard in 24 hours to put over all of your philosophies to the players, which I enjoyed. I, I'm interested to know how many philosophies uh, Phil Brown's got because, um, you know, if you've got more than one philosophy you're trying to get over, it might be quite confusing. But um, yeah, it's it's you know we haven't really discussed the the Phil Brown Mark Mosley thing, and I guess it's it's kind of similar to to the. Um, Forest Green decision where it's the only thing you can change. I I, I know that Mosley isn't particularly popular with South End fans, um, given the season they've had. But I I struggle to put much of the blame at his door. To be honest, I I feel like the you know the the issues 
from before the season started, the the quality of the playing squad um, from before they the transfer embargo was lifted, and then you know things have been much better since since they were able to bring different uh, other players in. And if they yeah, they had a whole season under Mosley with a different squad, they'd have been absolutely fine. Um, they brought in Phil Brown. Is he an upgrade? Well, he's he's done more in the game, I guess. He's got something of a track record, but um, yeah, a bit of a strange one. And in terms of the performance uh, and the result against Crawley, it was fairly drab wasn't it there wasn't really much in the game uh, Crawley haven't been in very good form haven't got much to play for either so uh, it, but because of Colchester's poor performance um, and we should say you know massive credit to Keith Kyle and to Oldham who were brilliant on the day um, Davis Keeler Dunn is fast becoming one of my favourite players in League 2 um, I'm, I just love his <laughs> Those are those those goals don't count for me. That that's that's the epitome of what they call garbage time in in the NBA when, <laughs> when when players come off the bench during a game that's like basically finished and just like take a load of shots in order to rack up a ton of points in the last yeah, few fair. minutes. Two that's goals fair. in injury time, but no, but he, no. Didn't, he, he has he did he, start he, and he was decent and he was decent throughout and he won the penalty. I think the quality um, of his goals sort of shine yeah, through, don't they? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, Shut up, Adam. and yes, yeah. exactly. Your uh, your garbage, yeah. your garbage, if anything, mate. Oh, what, are you talking to yourself? Yeah, yeah, I am. I think okay. it's time to it's time to end this. Um, yeah, that's that's. I'm done. <laughs> uh, guys, thank you for listening. Been a treat, a pleasure, and a delight to talk you through a, a weekend of EFL action that was excellent. Um, as you can tell throughout, we are energised. Uh, it's been a crazy few months. Uh, sometimes just gritting our teeth and getting through it. I think we've we've all felt that at times. I know that the players and managers have as well. Um, but it truly, the sun is shining. I I feel now on the EFL. Um, we've got four weeks of crunch time, then a week of rest, and then one week of playoff semi-finals, then a few days rest and playoff finals all in one weekend. I'm so excited. I hope that you've enjoyed this podcast. And if you do, make sure you keep joining us. Subscribe to it, uh, retweet it so that others can listen to. Um, we've always space for more on this crazy, crazy bandwagon. And thanks for listening. We'll be back again second half of the week with Totally Football League show, Extra Time and The Betting Show.